Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. message this week, and it's called The Day That Changed Everything. And uh, if you will, go to John the 11th chapter, and we're just going to kind of get into this a little bit today. Did y'all have a good weekend? Looks like a bunch of fun ball playing went on this weekend. All the little, all the little t-ballers, and, and uh, I remember, I, I, it's, it's kind of sad that I'm saying I'm a, I remember those days, but I, I do. I remember them, and I was rejoicing with you on the, on the, on the good highlight video or pictures that I saw, everything, and I was missing that, but I was not missing all the other stuff that we don't like to picture that goes on, right? <laughs> you know, if you, could, if you could take the drama out of youth sports, it would be awesome. It'd be an awesome thing. Maybe us adults ought to grow up. Let the kids play. Say, man, you have started off on the wrong foot this morning. The Bible says part of my job is to correct. John 11, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So this is the story of Lazarus. And what, what, what makes this kind of significant is, um, you know, really, I know the Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners, but Lazarus was... Jesus's friend. That was his buddy. He had his disciples, and I know they had a, a friend-type relationship, and but they went beyond this. But this was this was Jesus's friend. It's really the only time outside of, of in the garden where he wept or he actually sweat um, blood. Uh, but right here, um, we're not going to read that part. But but when he when he heard about Lazarus dying, he actually he actually wept. Jesus wept. It's the it's the uh, shortest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. Um, but so it says when Jesus came, when he finally came, he found that he'd already been in the tomb for four days. Verse 18, it says, Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had, pointed, had, had joined uh, the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So Jesus comes. He's already been in the grave for four days. And, um, and then Martha and Mary, this is their brother, and there was a bunch of women around uh, consoling them, and it says many of the Jews joined the women uh, to, to comfort in, uh, them concerning their brother. So verse 20, it says, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, and Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. You know, Martha's an interesting person. You know, she was the one that was always, you know, uh, you know kind of putting some demands on Jesus. You remember Martha was the one who was busy cleaning and cooking uh, for Jesus because he was in the house. And, and Mary uh, wasn't. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it made Martha mad. And so she confronted Jesus and, and she said, aren't you going to do anything? Basically, essentially, aren't you going to do anything about my sister who's not doing anything? And, and Jesus says, Martha, Martha. You know, we've preached this scripture several times. Um, you know, you're concerned about many things. 
And it's, but he said, but Mary's doing the, the needful thing. Not saying that it's not needful to, 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 to host people. It's not needful to clean your house or to cook or, or to do those kind of things. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. He was just saying in the moment, recognize the moment. In the moment, right now was not the time because Jesus, the Lord himself, Jesus the Christ, he was sitting in her living room giving a teaching and she was concerned about what she was going to cook him, which good heart behind it, but just not understanding. How many you know a lot of times in our life we've had the right heart about things, we just had bad timing? Amen? We just didn't, we didn't know what to do at that specific time. And here's Martha again. So same lady. Here's Martha again. She's confronting the Lord. So she sees Jesus coming. <coughs> Jesus, I mean, Lazarus had been dead four days. She finally sees Jesus coming up on the scene. So she goes out to meet him. And Mary, Mary is in her same spot sitting in the house. And so Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So she did back that up and say, listen, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died in the first place. But even so, I know that whatever you ask your father, he'll give it to you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So he asked her a question. So she says, well, I know that he's going to be resurrected in the last days. So she goes, I know that. I've, I've heard that teaching. And he says, well, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I am. The, re the resurrection you're talking about, the life that you're talking about, that you are mentally assenting and knowing, he says, listen, your brother's going to rise again. And she goes, oh, well, I know that. I know he is because I know enough of the word to know that in the last days he's going to rise again with the saints. And he goes, listen, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I, Jesus didn't just come to preach about resurrection. He didn't just come to preach about life. He came because he was and is the resurrection and he was and is the life. Amen. So let's go on. It says, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says, do you believe this? I don't know that, that we ever put ourselves on the spot as much as if Jesus was standing here in the flesh, that he would put us on the spot. He was constantly asking people, what do you believe? What do you say? He would say that a lot of times. What do you say? This is what I say. What do you say? So he, he, Martha confronts him saying, if you had been here, he would, we wouldn't even be in this situation. But nevertheless, I know whatever you ask your father, he's going to give it to you. Jesus says, well, I'm here because Lazarus is going to, your brother's going to rise again. She goes, well, I know he's going to rise again. Yeah, I know the scripture. And he goes, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I am the resurrection. I am the life. If people, if you believe in me, you won't ever die. Do you believe this? 
This is Jesus. Do you believe? I like to take scriptures like this, and I like to put myself in the shoes of the person that Jesus is talking to. And if Jesus was having to tell me this, he'd say, do you believe this? And I don't want to give him the religious answer because everybody in here would say, yes, yes. I mean, Jesus is standing right for me. Yes, yes. I want to know on the inside of me. I want it to go down deeper than just, uh, I heard what you said and I understood the response that you wanted. I want it to go down into my heart and ask my spirit that answer, that question. And I want you to ask yourself that question. Do you believe? That Jesus is who he says he is. And if you do believe that, do you believe that you shall never die? He says, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything. It didn't just change everything for a few select people there in Jerusalem. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed. It changed the world as everyone knew it. It didn't just change it in in religious terms only. But the actual rest of history, it changed. It changed the actual rest of history and the working of God in the world. It changed everything. We'll live a life, us believers will live a life in Jesus because he is the source of life now and to come. So, do we live knowing that Jesus is alive? That's the first question. Do we live knowing that Jesus is alive? Do we live knowing that Jesus is alive? Not do you believe it. Do we live knowing that Jesus actually is alive? We have all kinds today. We have all kinds of hero movies, right? And you know the scene, the popular scene. The hero is presumed dead. And then all of a sudden, in the most climactic way, he comes back and he comes back to save the day, you know? And now I'm not much of a comic hero movie guy. I've, I've liked a, a few here and there, but I'm not, I'm not one of these guys. No offense, but I don't have the T-shirt. I don't have the little bobbleheads. I don't have the figurines. I don't, I don't have any of that stuff. I never, I don't think I ever bought a comic a day in my life. But you know, I like a Batman movie here and there. I don't have any Superman shirts like Coach Prinka. <laughs> but there are a few of them I really like. And I did not too long ago get caught up in all the, the Marvel movies. And I'm still, if you, and if you never watched them, this won't, won't make any sense to you. But I'm still holding out hope that Tony Stark is not dead. That Iron Man is alive. Like one day, Iron Man's coming back. Like, Iron Man's got to come back. Iron Man cannot be completely dead. They're going to figure out a way. Somebody's going to figure out a way. So we can see Jesus as a pivotal figure who is gone, but will return like that to save the day. But Jesus is not dead, and Jesus is not just simply a martyr. While the crucifixion is very important, many people before and after Jesus claimed to be the Messiah and they were executed. So he's not the only one, but they claimed and he, they, they were executed, never to be seen or heard from again. But what distinguishes Jesus from other religious martyrs is the resurrection. 
That's why Easter, celebrating the Easter is so important. You say, well, it's been said that, you know, we don't even really celebrate on the right time for Christmas and Easter. Listen, you know what? It's, it's, it's what we have, and I think the most important thing is, is that the whole world stops and takes attention to the day that Jesus was born and the day that Jesus was uh, crucified, buried, and raised again. Amen? So Easter is not about celebrating a fallen hero but realizing and celebrating that Jesus is still alive at the right hand of the Father. Easter is not about celebrating just a crucified Jesus. That, yes, he died for our sins and then never was heard from again. No, it's about celebrating the fact that he is the firstborn from among the dead. That he did take the payment of sin and death for us. And that on the third day he was resurrected. And then after some time, that he ascended into the heavens and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, a lot of that stuff is just really hard to believe with our minds. I think it's easier to believe in the South because we, and, and rightfully so, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we do. But we are taught this from the time we're, we're little. But sometimes I think some of the stuff that we're taught from little, it's, it's a good basis but as we get older, we have to make sure that the things that we're taught about Jesus don't get thrown, excuse me, <coughs> they don't get thrown into the nursery rhyme categories. Amen? Because sometimes when we, as we get older, yes, they taught it to us in a very simplistic way, and really the gospel is very simple. But at the same time, as we get older, we can... We can start to throw the things of God and the things, things of Jesus and the story of Jesus into these kind of fictitious fairy tale places and it can't ever go to those places. It can't ever live there. If you ever begin to start feeling like you're mentally assenting to the gospel, you need to stop. You need to reevaluate your heart. You need to get in the word of God and you need to begin to say that Jesus really did come. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he really was crucified for my sins. He really was raised again. He really did ascend and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he really is coming back for his church. And he really is coming back with his church to take over again. Sometimes that's kind of hard to believe. And we put it in these fairy tale, we put it in these comic book type scenarios. But it's not a comic book. It's not a fairy tale. It's not just a story. It's not something that is meant to be told to us that contradicts the boogeyman. Jesus Christ is real. And Jesus Christ is really alive. And we really have to believe that, not just mentally assent to that. And not only do we really have to believe it, but we have to allow what we believe about Jesus to affect the way we live. Because if it doesn't affect the way we live, then we really have to start questioning how much do we believe it. Come on. If what we believe about Jesus doesn't affect the way we live, I'm not saying you don't have problems, you don't have uh, things come up, but I'm saying if it doesn't affect the way you want to live, you really need to begin to start asking yourself, what do I believe about Jesus and do I really believe it? Is this okay? But Easter is not about just about celebrating a fallen hero, but realizing 
and celebrating that Jesus is still alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Romans 8, 3 through 4, this is what Paul told the Romans. He says, who is he who condemns? So there was, a, there was a big problem about this condemnation and, 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 and religious stuff. And Paul just asked the question, who is he who condemns? Because he says, if somebody else is condemning you, you need to remind them that it was not them who died for you. Right here it says, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. <clears throat> that may be something good for you guys to use, not to get out of and not to justify something. But have you ever walked into or <clears throat> met somebody who was just trying to act like they're religiously better than you? you? Say who, Like Paul said, who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died for me. Not you. It's Christ who justifies me. Not you. It's Christ who is now seated at the right hand of the Father praying for me. Not you. That's what Paul is, is, is telling me. He says, who is he who condemns? Is, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. So he doesn't start, stop there. He doesn't stop at the death. He says, Christ who died and furthermore, it is also, he is also risen. Who is even, <clears throat> so he goes another step further. Who is even at the, <clears throat> I'm, I apologize. The devil don't want this scripture preached. <clears throat> Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also, watch this, makes intercession for us. That's praying for us. <clears throat> so who is it that's condemning you? Now, the Bible says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So even the enemy can come against you and begin to bring condemnation against you. Now, you might be wrong. You may have really messed up. But how many you know when you're wrong and you've messed up, Jesus doesn't condemn you? He may convict you. He does convict you. But he's not condemning you. You know what condemnation is? Condemnation is you mess up and immediately you have these thoughts of I'm going to hell. The Bible says that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. None. The Bible actually says that he came into the world not to condemn the world. Not to. But the enemy loves for you to stay in condemnation because if he can keep you in condemnation, if he can keep you in fear and guilt and shame, then he can keep you where he wants you. He can keep you afraid of God and therefore moving closer and closer to what he wants for you, the enemy wants for you. And Paul says you have to combat this by saying, who is he who condemns? It's not Jesus. He'll convict my heart and say, hey, you know what? This, this way of living and what you're doing with your life is not conducive to what I paid for. But it's not condemnation. Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen? Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? So, number one, do we live knowing that Jesus is alive? Number two, 
the resurrection of Jesus had a tremendous effect on the entire world. So much so that for most of modern history, what you think about this, most of modern history is separated in errors, eras around Christ. You ever heard of BC and AD? Now, they're trying to erase all that. There's even been people say that's not what BC means and that's not what AD means. But that's a completely new and liberalistic theory. If you were to go back in time, 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 400 years, 500 years, 600 years, 2,000 years, you would begin to see that all of the world pretty much separated their times from B.C., which meant before Christ, into A.D., which means Anno Domini, and that actually translates out the year, in the year of our Lord. See, a lot of people thought A.D., I know when I grew up, somebody told me that B.C. was before Christ and A.D. was after death. But that would be wrong because Jesus didn't die. We're still in the year of our Lord. Amen? And if you go back and you read old text, it'll say, in the year of our Lord, and they put the date. Why? Because we are living in a dispensation that is the year of our Lord. Before Christ, it was the Old Testament way of doing things, and Jesus had not yet come on the scene. But after he came, they switched the whole calendar up to start over to be the years of our Lord, or the year of our Lord. And it won't change again, and I don't know what they'll call it, until Jesus comes back and raptures the church. I heard somebody say the other day, and I was, I was listening to him, I thought, you know, that's why it's hard for me to do, to do hymns. Because, you know the old hymn, um, When We All Get to Heaven? Y'all know that one? It'd be hard for me to sing that in church. Because some of y'all would have to sing when y'all get to heaven. Not when we all, but when y'all. When y'all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that'll be for y'all. See, hymns were all inclusive. Just a joke. Y'all can lighten up a little bit. <laughs> but the, the, the resurrection of Jesus had a tremendous effect on the whole world. Actually changed the calendar. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ became a central point to date history. And I really think that that's why generations, and I say generations because it's been in every generation, but generations of Antichrist supporters. Now, I didn't say the Antichrist, but how many of you know that anything that is against Christ is Antichrist? Amen? A lot of times when we hear the word Antichrist, we immediately go into the tribulation. I mean, how many of you know... Uh, you know, uh, gosh, what's his name? Hitler was Antichrist. Mussolini was Antichrist. He wasn't the Antichrist, but there was the Antichrist at work. Anti meaning against Christ, against him, trying to extinguish that. And so there's been generations of, the, of Antichrist supporters that have worked overtime to try to erase and even discredit Jesus because we simply cannot overlook the impact on human history that the life, death, and the resurrection 
of Jesus has had on the world. You cannot overlook it. And listen, if they could have, they would have already. There has been plenty of opportunities to, if, if Jesus was not who he says he was, and he did not do what he says he could do. Don't you think that at, throughout all of the years, and, and even the dark age, the dark ages could have eradicated Jesus. But guess what it did? It produced a spirit-filled revival. After the dark ages, there was a spirit-filled revival. Why? Because you cannot eradicate and you cannot discredit the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And even right now, they're trying to discredit. They're trying to rewrite things. And they've got it easier than they've ever had it. Why? Because everybody gets their information from the Internet. And how many know the one thing about the Internet? It is, it is editable. You can edit it at any time, any way you want. They're actually, if you only read your Bible from the Internet, there may be a little bit of a problem there because there are certain translations and there are certain websites who have actually gone through and edited the Bible. And when I mean that, they're taking out whole verses. You can go back and you can grab one of these or an older version and you can find it and then you can go on the internet and it is not there. So it's easier than ever for them to try to discredit and try to erase Jesus Christ. But every time the enemy and Antichrist supporters try to discredit and try to erase the king of kings, revival breaks out somewhere. And we're ripe for the picking right now. I believe that everywhere around the globe, but I, I especially believe America is ripe for the picking right now. I think that people are thinking, I, I mean, I've been, I've been in the ministry now almost 23 years. And I know that doesn't sound like a real long time, but I have, I have been around at least long enough and I've studied long enough <coughs> church history to see <clears throat> that we have been in a lull for several years now. And I'm beginning to see for the first time a mass of people beginning to look unto Jesus again. There's been several years where we have not, especially the church, we have not been looking unto Jesus. We've been looking here, we've been looking there. We've had our attitudes and we've had our, our distractions on different things, not Jesus. But I'm beginning to see people one by one, not just people in this room, but I'm saying as a whole, people one at a time, two at a time, ten at a time, families at a time, beginning to go, you know what? My life is not where it's supposed to be. My life is not what it needs to be. And you know what? I think the problem is that we have not been serving God. We have not been serving Jesus. We have not been looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And when we begin to look at Jesus and we begin to look into his word and we begin to stay in his presence and we begin to, uh, to worship him like we did before and even more so, Jesus begins to pour out in our homes. He begins to pour out in our lives. He begins to pour out in our communities. He begins to pour out in our churches. And when the Holy Spirit begins to be desired... And, and, and the presence of God begins to be desired and the word of God begins to be desired by the people of God, then we're, we're going to have the most wonderful revival that I think we've ever, we've ever witnessed or even heard of. Amen? But that hunger has to grow on the inside of us and it has to start with us as the church. A hunger to see God moving in our own lives. To let it work in us, dads, fathers, husbands. To let it work in our, in our wives and our mothers and our grandmothers. To let it work in our children. Let what work? The, the Word of God. The presence of God. 
this, this historian named J.R. Case, he said this. The impact Easter has had on society is not just an important event in history. It is the central event in history. The fulfillment of a process that began in the accounts of Genesis. When we celebrate Easter, we're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it's not just an important event. It is the central event in history. That is the fulfillment of a process that actually began back in the garden. Genesis 3, 14 through 16 says this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. So for a little context, unless you're, if you're not familiar, this is after Satan has deceived Adam and Eve. God is coming down into the garden to have his evening walk because the Bible says he actually used to walk in the cool of the day with Adam. And he can't find them. He's calling for them. And they're hiding. And they've gathered up what they can to cover themselves. Before that, they were unclothed and unashamed. So they finally come out of hiding and, and they're, he's going, what are, what are you doing? What are you wearing? He said, well, we are naked. He said, well, who told you that? Where did you learn that from? Of course, he knows. He knew what happened. So this is the account now in Genesis 3, 14 through 16. This is the account of how God dealt with man and how God dealt with the enemy. So he's dealing with Satan and he says, because you've done this, because you tainted and tricked and destroyed my, my man, you're going to be cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. He says, on your belly, you're going to go. And you shall eat dust all the days of your life. You're going to be the lowest of the low. Verse 15 says, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. Watch this. This is the prophecy. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That was the prophecy that was told. That God told the enemy, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and, and, and her seed. <clears throat> so thousands upon thousands of years in the making, generation after generation passed down, believing God, serving God, going where God said to go, doing what God said to do, going down through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David all the prophets, everything that was written for 4,000 years was to get to this point on resurrection, what we call Resurrection Sunday, was to get to the point where what, what God told the serpent back in the, back in the garden 4,000 years before, that he was there and on the cross, he was able to take his heel and bruise the head of the serpent and crush him, de destroy him, defeat him. So, Number two, the resurrection of Jesus had a tremendous effect on the entire world. So much so that for the most modern history, um, 
we're separated into eras. Now, number three, Jesus proclaimed to his disciples. He says this in John eleven twenty five through 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus' claim here is really kind of mind-boggling. He said it is faith in him that brings one back to life at the resurrection at the last days. Now, if you were sitting there, we, we have the luxury of sitting on this side of the death, burial, and resurrection. They did not. What if you're hanging out with your spiritual mentor and he says, listen, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. But then he goes uh, even further when he says, I am the life, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The life that comes through believing in Jesus is not interrupted by physical death. We all experience the pain of losing our loved ones. Every one of us have and will. We experience that pain here on earth. But if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we don't have to mourn like those who have no hope. We don't have to mourn like those. And I'm not saying that you won't mourn. The Bible, I I read in the beginning, when Lazarus died, it was Jesus' friend. Jesus even wept for his friend, even though he knew he was going to go raise him up. Why? Because he didn't want his friend to experience that part of natural life that was produced not by God, but that part of naturally dying was produced by man disobeying God and obeying Satan over the word of God. That's what introduced death. And God's so good that he didn't just put a match to the whole garden and say, we'll just start over. He takes 4,000 years to get his son birthed through the Virgin Mary. Takes another 30 years to have him raised as a human yet without sin. Takes another three years to go around and the Bible says that how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit who went about doing good and healing all those who were sick and oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So three years of healing people, delivering people, preaching the word of God. And then after that three years, the time had come and the enemy fell right into the trap of God have him crucified, gave him access to a place to destroy the enemy as a man, to die in your place, resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit so that he was our substitute so that we die when we get saved. And the reason why we baptize some people Wednesday night, when we get saved, we're reenacting what happened spiritually. When we receive Jesus Christ in our life, We die with him. We go down into the water, die into the grave, dying with him. But we don't stay there. We're resurrected to life. And now we can live in that resurrection life. So 
we don't have to mourn, even though, yes, it, 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 there's, there's not a person on earth. If, if you don't mourn when someone you love passes from this earthly life, then, then you probably have got some emotional issues you need to go get worked out. But at the same time, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. It's not the end. It's not it. It's just an unpleasant part of living in this natural world where we understand we're going to be without them for a little time while we're here. But when we're in Christ, our life is not interrupted. I want you to think about this. If we're saved, our life is not interrupted by death. But our life is actually just beginning when we pass from this earth. I want you to think about that. Are we better off, what the Bible says, are we are we better in heaven or worse? Far better. To the point where Paul the apostle said, I'm having trouble trying to decide whether I should stay or go. Because if I go, it's far, far better for me. But if I stay, it's better for you. That was his human side pulling like, but I, it's like me. I don't want to go right now. Although I know I'd be far better. Why don't I want to go right now? Because I love you. Because I love my family. And I want as much time as I can on, the, on this earth doing this. I want to take as many people with me as I can. Because not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. And that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to understand and recognize what's been done for us and make sure that those people in our lives around us know that, hey, when you pass from this life, are you going to be one of those people who are hopeless, that, that you have no end, that you're going to eternal death? <coughs> or do you have eternal life where your life is not in, interrupted by natural death, but it's actually when your natural death occurs, all of a sudden real life begins? I don't know if y'all believe that. Y'all looking concerned. See, some people might see this as, oh, you're just giving a cop out. You're just trying to console people when they lose somebody they love. No, no, no. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to do anything other than believe what the Word of God says. And it all starts back on, do we believe in who Jesus says that He is? And if we believe that who Jesus says that He is, we believe that Jesus did what, he, what the Word of God says that He did. Because if we do, if we believe that Jesus was the Son of God and we believe that He came and that He was, he was crucified, He was buried, He was raised again on the third day and ascended into heaven. <coughs> hmm. Messing up my preaching. <coughs> Stupid throat. And I have to believe that my life is not going to be interrupted by my natural death. But I'm stepping over into a place where I am freed from the things that encumber me on this earth. I'm freed from this nagging cough that I have this morning and the mucus that has occurred because of all the stupid weeds that I'm sure Satan planted. God didn't plant those. And I'm freed from the back trouble that I have had over the years. And you say, I thought we could receive healing while here on the earth. You can, and I believe that, and I pray for that. 
But I, be, I believe I'll be completely freed and delivered from everything. That, and those are just the little things. Those are just the small things. Can you imagine being freed from debt and bills and having to make a living? You know, having to make a living is a part of the fall. It is. It's a part of the fall. Say, prove it to me. Easy. God told Adam the way he dealt with Adam. He said, for the rest of the days of your life, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. And we will... We'll take that statement and we'll make heroes out of men who work themselves to death. And I applaud hardworking people. I think we do need to work hard. And the reason why we need to work hard is not because God wanted us to break our back and, and, and do all that. It's because when man fell, we have to do that. If you don't do that, the Bible says if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. Why? Why? Because of the fall. I, I believe in heaven that we have nothing but pure St. Augustine grass and there's no weeds whatsoever. You don't have to cut it. It never grows. You just get to enjoy it. <clears throat> there's never droughts. There's never any other thing. And I'm picking and playing, but I'm thinking, I'm trying to make you think about all the things that we have to put up with down here because of the fall of man. I guarantee you, there is not one mosquito there. Not one. I guarantee you, there's not one day where we go, God, it's hot. Or man, it's cold. I think that in heaven, they just, godless, like, your own personal <coughs> thermostat follows you. I'm joking. I'm messing with you. I'm trying to get you to think about it a little bit. Think about it. Thinking about how much stock we put in down here. When the Bible says that our life is nothing but a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Even if, even if you live to what we would call the ripe old age, it's still not long. And how much do we put into living down here thinking that it's going to be forever? Listen, the reason why forever is in you is because God put forever in you because you are not a, a, a disposable spirit. You will live forever, either in heaven or in hell. You will live forever. You never cease to exist. That's why forever is on the inside of you. But this right here, this what we're experiencing right here, right here on the four lane in Haslam, Texas, this is not forever. But how you live your life and who you've accepted as your Lord and Savior, that is forever. Is this Okay. That's why the Bible says that we have to take our eyes off of this and we have to keep our eyes focused on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Why? Because if we want to live our best life on the Haslam uh, Four Lane or in Shelbyville or in Center or in Carthage or wherever you live, in Logansport, Stanley, Mansfield, wherever, then you have to live it for God and not for this world. Because this world is passing away. This moment is passing away. The moment you had getting ready to come to church this morning will never happen again. It's gone. After this service and we dismiss and you leave, 
That's the last time we'll ever do that. It's gone. Our hearts and our minds have to be constantly reminded of eternity. Because if not, we'll put too much stock in who we are and what we do here and not enough stock in who God has called us to be. I want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times, on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.